You are financially struggling, overextended yourself. The only way you can see out of this mess is to kidnap someone for ransom. You then discover, after weeks of surveillance, that your captive is not who you thought they were. You subsequently claim your captive died of natural causes. You now have the eternal problem of what to do with the body. This is the case of Muriel Mackay, and this is Murder Me on Monday. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Murder Me Monday podcast. I'm Cameron and joined with me is Mother. Hello. Lots of coincidences this week. I swear none of it was planned. There are a couple of first time in the UK two incidents. So welcome to our many new listeners from Australia where this week's case starts off. And whilst Muriel was under surveillance, it's not strictly stalking, but these guys are. I'm Jamie Beebe. And I'm Jake Deptula. We're the host of Strictly Stalking. A weekly true crime podcast exploring true stalking stories from survivors in their own words. We cover unique stalking cases through interviews with stalking survivors, advocates, and experts. Strictly Stalking has been praised by survivors, advocates, listeners, and media for raising awareness about the dangerously underreported and often fatal crime of stalking. Our series continues to provide a vital platform for stalking survivors to share their stories. And provides anti-stalking resources for listeners along with important tips on how friends, family, and law enforcement can support stalking survivors. Please listen now wherever you get your podcasts. So we actually got reached out by people to do some form of collab, which is weird because it feels like we're actual content creators now. (laughs) And not just one idiot and their parent in a room talking about murder occasionally. And pigs a lot, apparently. So yeah, that is the Strictly Stalking podcast. They predominantly or primarily cover stalking cases yeah it's very interesting actually it's it's a really good podcast and i do listen to it so go and give them a whirl when they sent us over their audio files i was like fuck how do you even pull that into audacity (laughs) i feel like they would have a team of people to do but hey hi it's nice to get reached out making friends collabing do that kind of stuff it's weird it's a bit nerve-wracking yeah so back to this week's case cameron Uh, There's a bit of background to why it was such a huge deal when I was a child. At the time, there were two massive media barons in the UK, and I always get them mixed up due to their initials. Robert Maxwell, who ran the Mirror newspaper group, was a massive con man. He was even an MP in the UK, which I didn't know. He fell off his boat and died, and they only found out after he died that he'd stolen millions and millions from the pension fund of the newspaper. So Robert Maxwell, RM. Now, his daughter is constantly in the news over the last few years. Yes, it's, I always want to say Ghislaine, but it's not pronounced Ghislaine. She's a, the Epstein. Maxwell. Yeah, she's the oh, Epstein. Oh, as in the, yeah. the, the person that facilitated all the paedophilia yep. with massive celebrities. Yep. And her going dad, to his little island, little weird sex island. Yeah, yeah her dad is a strange character. I've put the... A few links about him into things, but there's so much out there about him that I never knew as a child because the newspapers wouldn't print it, would they? But the one we are interested in is called Rupert Murdoch, another RM. It turns out his first name is Keith, but he never used it. He was born in Australia and he was a war correspondent, but he inherited two newspapers in Australia after his father died. I didn't know he's actually the one behind Fox News. And Sky. Yeah, he's got big, big money. He was and is global and owned newspapers in the UK at the time that we are interested in. Muriel Mackay was born in Adelaide, South Australia, in 1914. She married a fellow Aussie and had three teenage children. Her husband, Alec, spelt with a K at the end, was a newspaper executive working for Rupert Murdoch. They all moved to the UK in 1958 and settled in Wimbledon, South London. Rupert liked Alec a lot. He was his deputy chairman in the UK. So when Rupert and his then 26-year-old wife, Anna, decided to leave a cold and wet London to spend Christmas in Australia in 1969, Rupert tells Alec to use his Rolls Royce and the chauffeur whilst he's away. You're not going to turn that down, are you? That's a nice offer from your boss. Not when the VP says, use my car. Yeah. Now, Muriel apparently was a happy housewife, described as rather glamorous, loved living in London, doted on her children and husband, completely normal, well-to-do family. That is until the 29th of December, 1969. Alec worked long hours, so when he returned home at 7.45pm that day, he was surprised to find the front door was unlocked. It's dark and it's winter, and whilst Wimbledon is a very nice area, you do not leave your doors unlocked. 
especially as they'd been burgled some three months previously. A mural had lost a lot of jewellery, so they did become even more security conscious. He finds the telephone had been pulled off the wall and his wife's handbag was missing, but the contents were all over the stairs and there was no sign of Muriel. He calls the police at 8pm, didn't hang about, just went round the house, there's no sign of her, rings police. They initially log it as a burglary again until they arrive on the scene and realise it's actually a kidnapping after being shown items that were in the house that were completely out of place. So she wasn't there? Yep. And they thought it was a burglary initially, and then they went to kidnapping. Yeah. She's not there. That would be my first thing. I'd be like, where, where is she? I remember once I came back from the gym, and the dog wasn't here. And nor were you. I'm like, fuck, the dog's ran out. Yeah. dog's gone somewhere. So then I had to ring people to find out you were taking the dog out in the car. That's my first leap. As soon as someone that should be in the house isn't in the house, they've been kidnapped. Well, kidnapping wasn't a thing. And I'll explain why later. But... The, the police found that there was a roll of tape. In some places, it's described as elastoplast, but that's not right. It was tape, like, you know, packing tape type stuff. Twine or rope and something called a bill hook, which isn't a hook, but sort of like a curved knife, often used for pruning, apparently. Looks rather lethal in pictures. Can see why somebody would be very intimidated with that thing being waved in their face. So the phone that's been ripped out is repaired quickly. I'm guessing the idea was that any kidnappers may ring the house, which they did at 1am. They identified themselves as Mafia Group 3 from America. And it's later shortened in all the stuff. Three? Yeah, M3. Imagine getting kidnapped by Mafia Group 3. They're the unnamed extras in a movie. Yes. It's... it's laughable now, but at the time, I should imagine it was very intimidating. But Mafia Group 3. Yeah. I know when this would have happened, Mafia, Mafia would have been a thing. Well, they still are, but yeah. They're, they're not the boogeymen that they probably were back then. Uh, the like, mobsters and stuff ran unions, but because of all the yeah. union busting, there's now no unions, so people don't, people don't pay the mobs, basically. So the mob lost a fuckload of money because of that. Yeah. It's not a thing anymore, by comparison. They rang, they identified themselves as that, and said, We tried to get Rupert Murdoch's wife. We couldn't get her, so we took yours instead. You have a million by Wednesday night, or we will kill her. Why? Right, yeah. Well, my initial thought was absolute spanners. Of being you f- might as well take in the fucking postman's child. Yeah. yeah. Just because yeah. just your town is gently linked doesn't mean you have any kind of connection. I'm, we wanted to nick the Queen, right? But we couldn't, so we, so we nicked a British person. Instead, that's that's the line of logic. Just because just because you work for them and and you are like a an important employee to Rupert Murdoch, doesn't mean he's going to pay a million to get your wife back. Well, they didn't expect Rupert. Well, I think they thought that Rupert Murdoch would step in to help, and I can kind of understand why. But as I said, my thought was that, that these twits had been following the role with the wrong woman in it, and obviously needed to see an optician because Anna was twenty six and Muriel was in her mid fifties. How can you make such a mistake like that? Rupert Murdoch's old. Assumed he would have had an old wife. Well, that's what I... I went to sleep thinking about it, woke up thinking about it, and I was realising I was looking at it from our standards today, which can be applied. You are right, that kind of thing. 1969, there's no internet to search for anybody's spouse. Celebrity magazines. How many and how long would you have to buy to find out who Rupert Murdoch was married to? Have you seen Rupert Murdoch's current wife? I know he's divorcing her. They got married in 2016, Jerry Hall. No, they're getting divorced. I wonder why she's with him. Have you seen her? Have you seen him? He looks like Master Ugwe from Kung Fu Banda. This is true. You know, his wife before that was a strange person. He's been married four times, but anyway. The people that took her were flat broke and they needed to move quickly. So when I heard that the trip to Australia was real for the Murdochs, but there was another possible scenario, that on the particular day, Anna was actually in London and due to use the car, but changed her mind and told Muriel to use it, which she did. She went to visit her daughter and a new grandchild. And although this was all over the news, some bits have never been quite explained to the general public. We don't know how long... The kidnappers were watching or why they thought the house in Wimbledon was Rupert and Anna's home. The brothers watched a TV programme and they knew what Rupert looked like. 
Maybe they went to the newspaper offices to watch and see and saw Rupert pull up in the car and then followed the Rolls Royce to Muriel's house where she was going to use it to go and see her daughter. See a woman, as you said, about the same age roughly as Rupert get into the car and not unreasonably thought she was Rupert's wife, like you just said. So maybe they followed it to the daughters and watched Muriel and her daughter that day. I can see why the Mafia Group 3, fuck me. Yeah. They've got the wrong person for a start. They they, they didn't even tell them properly. Mafia Group 3 is like being Al-Qaeda 7. We set fire to bins. Do you know what I mean? They're they're not the same tier. Mafia Group... I'm still still confused by that. Yeah. It's very um, Hollywood-esque, isn't it? Problem was, Alec wasn't that kind of wealthy to have one million pounds lying about. And... I'm sure Rupert would have helped him, but that was an awful lot of money in 1969. Adjusted for inflation, and I know we have arguments about this, Cameron, apparently it would be something like over £18 million in today's money. We don't so much have arguments. Is You're right, the, the, the actual value would have been, say, worth £18 million, but it's what, buying, what the buying power of a million had back then. Yeah. It's not as simple as you just times it by how much inflation is or whatever. Yeah. What could you have bought for a million back then? What could you have bought for a million now? Some economists use the Big Mac depending on what, how much it costs in a country, depending on uh, like the you value. You mean the burger? Yeah. And, oh. and that's uh, like a value for the country, how much that is. They use that Big Mac as like a universal currency. Oh. Well, the kidnappers constantly rang the house. Again, they're asking for this money for someone's yeah. wife that they didn't even steal. Yeah. Again. Well, no, they know by this point that they haven't got Rupert Murdoch's wife. They know they've got Alex's wife and they've got the telephone number. So they keep ringing the house because... You know, your boss is going to pay this to get your wife back, isn't he? Okay, from that perspective, imagine if imagine if Rupert Murdoch is well within his rights to say no. Yep. What would they then do? What is the next step if they won't be able to get any money from Rupert Murdoch? They've kidnapped this woman, then what? Right, they've been to the house. They know where it is. They know it's a wealthy area. We might not be able to get a million, but we're going to negotiate and get as much as we possibly can. Now, this sort of thing still happens in certain parts of the world where people do do this sort of thing. And they just literally try and get as much as they can. They will say, go to your relatives, go to the bank, borrow whatever is needed. We want X to give you your relative back. And nine times out of 10, they're usually actually already dead. I know it's kind of common with white women depending on certain countries they go to, because they see white women abroad spending, for them, a lot of money. And they're like, all right, we want 10 grand. And they're like, we don't have 10 grand. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an IT technician thing. I work in admin. I'm, I'm a teacher. I'm a whatever. We don't have that kinds of money. No, exactly. And this is kind of where this scenario goes. They're ringing the house. They're wanting to speak to Alec or his daughter or one of the, or the son. And back then, there was no way of tracing telephone calls. That technology didn't come in until the mid-1980s. I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but that whole like scene that they go through in TV shows, they're like, oh, we're bouncing off this cell tower, this cell tower, this person's tinfoil hat, and we've, found that we've triangulated it. It's not. It's really it's quick and simple. It's like it's there. It's the same. It s- is now. No, it basically always has been. Maybe not quite as advanced, but it, it's like a GPS. Oh, it's there. There's where the signal's coming. It's really easy. Mm. they just hype it up it's like when they say they're hacking yeah and they're clicking frantically well that they couldn't do that back then so they, they're trying to negotiate and they're mainly using this one daughter she seemed to the eldest she seemed to have a better relationship with them that's probably i thought that they had maybe seen her when they followed the car when Muriel took it to see her as in they, they saw the daughter yeah yep. so they had a, a, a recognition point as it, as it were. So these kidnappers would also actually send letters to the family threatening to kill Muriel again. And they sent letters from Muriel to her family enclosed in their letters, begging the, begging the family to do just whatever the kidnappers asked. What the, sort of time period are we dealing with when this happened? This actually went on over 40 days. 40 days? 40 days. They also enclosed bits of Muriel's dress that she'd been wearing on the day that she was taken. At least it wasn't bits of Muriel. No, this is true. Although I remember in the 70s, and I haven't researched this, so bear with me, some of my facts are wrong because it just literally occurred to me. There was an oil baron, John Paul Getty, and I believe his grandson was kidnapped and they chopped an ear off and sent it back to the family. So they were sending him back in bits. 
and he wouldn't pay the ransom. They eventually got him back. I, I've heard of that actually. Yeah, they ba- didn't they just like refuse? And then, and then yeah. wasn't this? Wasn't he a? Was he a junkie? It became one. If he wasn't, yeah, initially, I, under- I understand. You've, you've yeah. got Van Gogh, but you can't paint. Yeah. And he, it, it ended quite badly for the family because I think he resented his family. The as as you would. I understand you don't want to communicate with the people that are kidnapping, essentially, yeah. do you? But you don't want to give in to their demands because it's going to happen again. But the, but what do you do when you're the victim in the situation? You get fucked off and you hate everyone. Well, I mean, advice now is not to pay. But when this happened, they were actually asked, because I remember this being on the TV when I was a young child, and I remember this happening. Um, and they were asked at the time... Questions like, um, it was basically proof of life wasn't a thing back then. So they said to them, how do you know they've definitely got Muriel? And the police of, this policeman in charge said, we don't know. This is the first time this has ever happened in the UK. We don't know what we're dealing with. So, I know they wouldn't have the protocol, and I'm probably thinking of no. it through a modern lens. Yes. Okay, we don't have the protocol, but pretend that the protocol doesn't exist. I would ring somewhere else. I'd be like, Bolivia, fuck, what do you do? Yeah, ring the FBI, something like that. That was my thought as well. You're, you're in countries where kidnapping is common. So you're yeah. just like, uh, uh, country, help. Italy. There yeah. was a huge problem out in Italy, wasn't there? But 1969, there's not a lot of records for me to search to find out what the, the kidnapping rates around the world were. But 1st of February, 1970, three days on from what would be Muriel's 56th birthday, they tried to do a money drop. And it sometimes happens in the older cases before they got better at managing was with just said. There were a police about and it seems to have spooked the kidnappers. They don't know whether what what the police were doing. That again, police forces didn't talk to each other. This was being being dealt with by the Metropolitan Police. They made a second attempt at a ransom drop on the sixth of February. M three demanded that the daughter did the drop. Now, the police wouldn't let the daughter do it. They used two police officers in disguise and follow instructions to take the ransom to a phone box in Tottenham where they'd get further instructions. The ransom was in two suitcases filled with what the family had told the kidnappers they could raise. £500,000, not the one million. So even that 500 k would have been worth over £9 million to date. It's a lot of money. In fact, most of it was just fake money probably just cut into squares, things that we've all seen many times on films. But back then, as we said, absolutely no one would have had any experience in the UK how to do it. So I think they must have rung somebody like the FBI or something and said, how would you deal with this? And also this fake money was in two suitcases. The daughter would have been very unlikely to have been able to carry those. Didn't have wheel suitcases in those days. Hence the two police officers. Now, it's not clear if the kidnappers believe one was the daughter and her husband or they were just too disguised to make it look like that way. I don't even know if these officers were two women, two men or one of each. The lack of detail out there is actually frustrating. <laughs> the way you say it like that, it's the geezer in a wig. <laughs> well, it could have been. It could have been. So they've got two suitcases and this phone box in Tottenham. M3 rings that phone box and says, take the money to another phone box in Bethnal Green which is six miles away, going south. And 30 minutes by car, but public transport, it would have taken well over an hour. Once at Bethnal Green, they were then rung again and told to take a tube out to Epping, which is north of London, and to go to yet another phone box. So we're roughly 44 minutes on the tube and 16 miles away, which is north, yeah. M3 rang that phone box and told them to take a taxi to Bishop Stortford, which was a further 16 miles north. And there's almost no way of getting there by public transport, even now. And they had to go to a car dealer called Gates Garage. And I was actually freaked out when I read that because I know who Gates are. I used to deal with them back in the day in a different job. They were instructed to leave the cases next to a van on the garage forecourt. So they're making different steps that you have to yes. follow. Yeah. So okay. You- so... Mafia 3 might be levelling up to Mafia 2. Yeah. They're getting promoted. Or they've got some more, someone more senior involved. <laughs> so this has taken hours running about London and the southeast of England and police frantically trying to get ahead of the next drop-off while staying out of sight. They are in position and watching the garage and notice a blue Volvo with a broken back light 
with just the driver, slowly passing the garage four times between 8 o'clock and 10.30pm. At 10.47pm, it passed again, this time carrying two men. However, a local couple out walking the dog noticed the suitcases and became concerned. The woman stood keeping watch on the suitcases while her husband trotted off to report to the local police who were unaware of the drop-off and picked up the suitcases and took them to the local station. The watching police couldn't intervene. It would have given away that they'd been watching just in case the kidnappers were watching them watching the suitcases. So they couldn't do anything. The property also didn't have time to tell the local police dashing about the country and they would have also had to have kept it a secret because kidnappers could have had somebody in their pocket. You don't know how sophisticated or how deep they are into whatever other organisation. And again, it was the first ever kidnapping in the UK. They, they, well, major one. They had no clue. They were stuck between a rock and a hard place. is probably what you mean. Over like a poignant figure. Yeah. Or attempted to. They didn't even kidnap his wife. Yeah. Also, no mobile telephones. They were just walkie-talkies. And you didn't need a police scanner or a CB or citizen band radio to listen in back then. I remember using the radio as a child to, you turned it onto the FM. No radio stations were on the FM channels. They were on the long wave and the medium wave. So if you turned the dial on the radio to either the top or the bottom end of the band, you could listen in to local emergency services. No idea how anyone actually understood the word that they said to be fair. Also, looking back for anybody wondering, in the UK back then, in most towns, you could walk 10 minutes in any direction and find a telephone box. Most villages had a telephone box as well. Being vandalised was common. They were often broken into to get the money out of them because they were literally coin operated. Local drunks often used them like the Dutch outside urinals as well. And it also made me realise that these guys must have spent some time driving around, getting numbers off the telephones to be able to pass these on to the police. It's not like there was a list out there. You couldn't exactly ring directory inquiries and ask for a number on the phone box at the corner of X and Y Road in Epping. What would have happened if one of those phones had been broken? And I have a vague memory that something like that actually happened in a case. You won't know this one, Cameron. The Black Panther it's entirely possible this case may have given this current case may have given this guy the idea and there were a number of police bungles in that case too it was a guy called donald nielsen he was actually bald donald nappy so i'm not really surprised he changed it he was a british armed robber he was a kidnapper and a murderer he used to shoot sub postmasters and then he kidnapped an heiress and he did this you know running through tunnels and all the rest of it but the the i think the brother made uh tried to drop the money off for leslie whittle uh and it went wrong because police were in the wrong place at the wrong time and i think there was a telephone box that was broken in that one as well back to this case the police that were on surveillance had been able to get a note of the registration number of that volvo they'd missed a few things made made assumptions they shouldn't have at the start of the investigation probably because they didn't actually know any better at the time because they then realised that this blue Volvo was reported by neighbours as being in Muriel and Alex driveway at 6pm on the day of her abduction and had also been spotted driving up and down the road beforehand. That car had also been seen at the first failed drop-off but had been dismissed as either an undercover or even a local police car. No one had actually checked. That Volvo was traced back to being owned by someone who lived at the very run-down piggery of Rook's Farm in Stocking Pelham, a village about 16 miles north again of Bishop Stortford, that last drop-off point. Can we just talk about the naming conventions that we have in, for towns in the UK? What were the three places, or two or three places that you just said there? What the fuck? Bishop Stortford, Rook, Stocking Pelham, and... Yeah, so they said two names, but what are those words? They're just bollocks, aren't they? <laughs> just, One word towns. They're just stupid names. If you look, oh, fuck it, like someone like Blackpool makes sense. Might be some other water, right? It makes sense. But fucking Pelamon Ballbag, whatever it was called. Stocking Pelham. I've got no idea where that name comes from. Yeah, Bishop Stortford could be a religious link, maybe. 
P- possibly. It just I'm th- I'm thinking for, for people that aren't from the UK that are listening to this, and they're gonna be like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, true. Is she casting a spell? What is this? <laughs> well, that drop-off point at Bishop Stortford was actually 50 miles away from Muriel's home in Wimbledon. This farm was owned by an Arthur Hussain, aged 34, and his wife. And she was all, they were also living there was Arthur's brother, Nizamuddin, who was aged about 22, 21, 22. And he'd been working as a labourer at the farm since the previous August. The brothers had been born in Trinidad. After an unsuccessful stint in the army when he was court-martialed, Arthur became a tailor in Hackney before buying Rook's Farm in 1967. He moved there during May 1968 and things went downhill from there. He was rather good at acting the part of the country squire and lording it over the locals and they mocked him and they called him King Hussein which was probably a link to King Hussein of Jordan. He used to go drinking in the local pub and they all absolutely loathed him. They thought he was an absolute pelloc. Probably tied with some racism back then. Yeah, no. Definitely. It's the 70s, mother, and they're not English. I, I, can, I can see their hair and facial hair. They didn't like it. Maybe. He'd gone heavily into debt by buying the farm and he really wasn't very good at being a farmer. Police believed that he hatched the kidnap plot after watching Rupert Murdoch being interviewed on television by David Frost, who was a very famous interviewer at the time. What was said in the interview to make him think, I know, I'll kidnap his wife? I genuinely don't know. This is back in the the 1960s. It would have been one of these, you know, you're a successful businessman travelling all over the world and, you know... Bill Gates, tier celebrity, wealthy man at the time, living in the UK. I live in the UK. Exactly right. kidnap his wife. Yeah, exactly right. So the police get to searching the farm. Talking about those phone calls, I said that to you that, that they were over 40 days. There were actually 19 calls. Can you imagine the mental state that the family must have been in? At the farm, they find a notebook which had torn pages that matched the tear patterns in the letters that Muriel had written and that would been sent to the family, begging them to do whatever these guys wanted. How did they know procedure for kidnapping maybe they watch hollywood films i don't know seriously yeah because they're obviously not from the mafia no very so, much so not. i don't i don't know why they're called mafia three unless there's three of them i don't know at this point how do they know what to do because so far it, it started off really bad by kidnapping the wrong person yeah but then taking them down this sort of daisy chain of events to yeah drop off pick up blah 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 it was just it was just basically messed up by those people walking the dogs yes up until that point how do they know what to do exactly it does make you wonder, doesn't it? But I, I suppose James Bond films were very big back then. So, I don't know. You can't even Google it. No. You can't. You, you, yeah. How do you find this sort of stuff out? Anyway, so what do these two idiots do now? Right. They've got, they've got twine or rope and also a matching roll of tape that matched back to what they found in, in the house, Muriel's house. And that bill hook that they'd found at Muriel and Alex's house, they find out actually belongs to a neighbour of Rook's farm. So they've got a definite link back. The brothers' physical descriptions also match those of the men seen in the Volvo driving up and down. And Arthur's fingerprints match those found in the, on ransom letters and a newspaper found at the Mackay household. Nizamuddin's voice matched that of a recording of M3 when he was tested on the telephone. Of course, now they do a voice print analysis. Back then, I'm supposed it was read this onto that and let's listen Compared, to it. Compared, you yeah. sound the same. However, no trace of Muriel was found at the farm, even after it was searched for several weeks. And they found the location of the farm and then subsequently the people involved by following the registration plate. Yes, they they knew that they'd seen this car four times on that evening. And then one day it had two dudes in it. Uh, that same evening, after 15 minutes later, the fourth occasion, it had two dudes in it. They had the number plate. They were able to trace that back to the farm. They were able to trace the records to the farm, find out who lived there, what was going on. They went out to the farm to talk to them. They did a search at the farm. We're talking the late 60s, early 70s, you know, different kind of scenario. They found stuff that matched everything that they knew about Muriel's house and then they found the fingerprints, blah, blah, blah. So but they knew Muriel. Muriel, yep. So they knew they've got them all. That led the police and the public to believe that Muriel had been fed to the pigs at the farm or maybe even the guard dogs that the farm had. So 
You're always going to have problems lifting the body in one piece. Apparently, the best thing to do is cut up a corpse into six pieces and pile it together. And when you've got your six pieces, you've got to get rid of them. Because it's no good, even in the deep freeze, so you might not discover it now, is it? Then, here the best thing to do is feed them to pigs. You've got to starve the pigs for a few days. Then the sight of a chopped up body will look like curry to a piss head. Then you've got to shave the heads of the victims, pull the teeth out for the sake of the piggy's digestion. You could do this afters, but of course, you don't want to go sieving through pig shit now, do you? They will go through bone like butter. They need at least 16 pigs to finish a job in one sitting, so be wary of any man who keeps a pig farm. They'll go through a body that weighs 200 pounds in about eight minutes. That means a single pig can consume two pounds of uncooked pig flesh every minute. Hence the expression, as greedy as a pig. And that's a quote from Bricktop from Snatch. He's a London gangster who cut people up and fed the pigs. And I just wanted to quote that. Okay. And you, I've just realised that the film writers probably got their information from the same place as I did because I recognised those stats. Probably. <laughs> so it's like a 2000s movie, isn't it? Yeah. It's an early 2000s movie. Yeah, we uh, watched it many times when Brad, you guys Brad were little. I, well, this, all of this, going back to last week where we said that pigs will eat anything except they can't eat long bones or skulls. And then... Like Cameron just said, a single pig wouldn't be able to finish a human body, but a herd of, say, 15, they could eat a human in eight minutes. And you're right, about two pounds for every minute. And then it led me on to a really horrible case from 2012 where a farmer in Oregon was eaten by his pigs. They only found his false teeth and a few bits of odds and ends. Each of his pigs weighed about 700 pounds. What? Yeah, they were big boys. I also men- mentioned a case last week where the police DNA... It's almost as much as your mum, listener. Sorry, I had to... <laughs> <laughs> the police t- um, DNA tested the pig enclosure to see if a guy had fed his wife to the pigs but actually found nothing. But in our case, there was no DNA testing available and it did seem it was possible that Muriel had been fed to the pigs. It's also a pack of rubbish. Pigs are... We know pigs are clean, in spite of what people do say about pigs being dirty. All animals are dirty. It ties back into trichinosis. You what? In, uh, trichinosis is like a parasite you can oh, get from, yeah. from eating pork. Un- uncooked pork can give you something called trichinosis. It's a parasite worm-like thing that lives in pork. If you co- if you don't cook it right and you eat it, you get it. So people in whatever countries that have it in their religion that eating pork is bad for you because they're a dirty animal, they probably just were, they were getting trichinosis. And they think, hmm, what's a good way of setting up society without people dying from trichinosis? I know, it's bad for you. And there you have it, listeners. Cameron's gone into his science lesson well, again this week. I mean, <laughs> if, if you think about uh, uh, countries and various theologies that have the bad yeah. guy in a religion, l- look at all like Swedish, Scandinavian countries. Wolves are the bad guys. Because yeah. where they're from, wolves would actually eat your kids. So you, you create a story where wolves are bad from the get-go and m- makes people scared of wolves. Yeah, you're not wrong. It's the same thing with that. Mm, eat pig bad. Yeah. A 700-pound pig is one. That's a fucking... And that's a creature. Yeah. That's huge. You yes, could ride I'm... that to battle. Yeah. I, I got, battle pig. I got to admit, I did a double take when I read that one. Back to our case. The brothers are arrested, and I believe the wife was judged to have nothing to do with it. You never hear about her again. She was German, so hopefully she went home and was able to lead a normal knife life after all this horror. The brothers are put on trial for kidnapping, blackmail, and murder on the 14th of September, 1970, so only nine months after the abduction. They never admitted what exactly happened, but they did try and blame each other. They were convicted on the 6th of October, 1970. They both got life sentences for the murder, which was the first time a case had been successfully prosecuted without a body in the UK, so that's the second first, Arthur got 25 years and Nizamuddin got 15 for the kidnapping. They tried appealing in 1971 and 1987. And in 1994, Arthur applied for parole. All of those were denied. Arthur suffered many mental health problems and died in 2009 in prison. Whereas Nizamuddin served 20 years and was deported to Trinidad after his release. But we are not finished. Do you think... Arthur's mental health conditions, do you know what they were? No. Was, it, was it just like anxiety, depression? Or do you think it could have been some like schizophrenia? 
I, I do think there could have been something like that. The fact he was actually court-martialed when he was in the army and yeah. kicked out. It, it, it can lead himself to having unpredictable, yeah. explosive behaviour, potentially. Yeah. Although, to be fair, you probably quite like that in certain armed forces, wouldn't you? Some of them, yeah. Because you point them at the bad guys. I was thinking think that could have tied into him doing this in the first place. Yeah, there was something... Because that... a sane person wouldn't do it. There's a lot of intelligence went into it, though, considering it was a first. We'd never had one of these major cases in the UK. There's a, no. lot, lot, a lot of planning, a lot of thought gone into it. The family never gave up on trying to find the remains of Muriel. Although her husband died aged 73 in 1983, the children carried on searching for over 50 years. It's the lack of closure, isn't it? It's like an animal that runs away. You never quite have the closure of what happened to the animal. Yeah. Your 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 mother, sister, w- wife, child just vanishes, potentially. Could have been fed to pigs. That's, that's horrific in itself. I believe, if I remember rightly, I only saw a, a sentence in one thing that the eldest daughter used to go to the grass verge every um, 29th of December. Isn't that why they shot JFK? That was, no, that, that was the grassy knoll. Oh, was it? <laughs> Why should I go in there? What do you have to do with it? Outs- yeah. Outside the farm and just lay flowers there because that was the last place anybody knew that she'd probably been, which may well explain what happens later. I'll get into that I, I can see that because it's her trying to receive closure somehow. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have gone to that place because that would then... You might dwell on that as well. You might think yeah. what in, in the panic and fear she's going to be fearing at the at the farm at that time. I wouldn't want to be in a situation. I'd want to have somewhere that's like a nice location, somewhere that you'd spent time together in the past. That's that can be the place that you can sort of create the grave or place to. That's show what people often do. But then you you have I don't. Know. Some people deal with it weirdly differently, whatever, don't they? It's not unusual for us in the UK to certainly see. Um, flowers strapped to a tree as you're driving down a road and you realise I don't know if it's common in other countries but you realise there must have been a road traffic accident that somebody died and they've gone and put flowers against it uh, if you, um, do you know what it means when you see a white bike yes like, yeah, someone, ghost bikes yeah. yeah I don't know if that's common in other countries but it happens no. in the UK yeah there was a big spate of it in London a few years ago where I remember when we were still commuting before the dreaded C word yeah I used to see them quite regularly all over London with the ghost bikes So, in 2021, so last year, the family hire a QC, which is a Queen's Council. They're the top... Fuck, I thought about quality control. What did that have to do with it? (laughs) I mean, what did they do? Did they check the police work to make sure they didn't fuck up or something? Okay, so the the Queen's... Queen's Council. So, it's a top-of-the-range barrister that's actually been called to the High Court. They are top, you know, we're talking money. They go off to meet Nizamuddin in Trinidad. Nizamuddin is now about 73. And he told the barrister he wanted closure before he died and gave them directions to where to find her body. And I've seen pictures of him sat there with what look like um, satellite photographs. They're old photographs of the topography of the farm. They're not the current pictures. And, you know, he's pointing to various things. But again, how much of that is set up by the newspaper? Because there was actually a documentary done. uh, I think it came out last year. And it, they followed this QC out there and they covered this case. And I've tried to find it and it's not available. And I was extremely annoyed. <laughs> Do you know, I, I spoke to you about something called GeoGuessr. Yes. Earlier today. Yes. Yeah, we want him on it. Yeah. yeah. Rainbolt. So Nizamuddin tells the QC that Muriel wasn't mistreated. She wasn't tied up. And she died of a heart attack or shock after seeing her abduction reported on the TV news. Yeah, I'm thinking about. I'm I'm thinking about the thought process of saying that. If he's looking for closure, do you think he would lie? Yes. Why is that to not make him seem quite as bad? But yes. but he's already been. If he's seeking closure, if him lying about it, that means you're getting you're getting false closure. You're getting false like. To me, to me, that won't make sense because then you're lying about the thing to get the closure in the first place. So that means you wouldn't actually have it. Because you you know in your heart of hearts that what you said was fake, was false. So you're not actually getting the closure. If he was genuinely seeking closure, I believe he would have reached out to the family from Trinidad and said, I am sorry for everything that happened. Here is an account of what happened. I will talk to you if you want me to. That's they true. had to that, come and find that him. That would make more sense. 
that's the way my thought process works. If it was, say, I'm not even talking from a religious perspective because some people do find religion or, or they yeah. to return to their roots and they want it off their chest before they died. He's in his 70s. He's probably not in good health. The chances of him remembering correctly are probably slim. Although when he's in prison, what would he have been reliving that entire time? What, how many hundreds of times would he have retold that story in prison? Exactly. We don't know. So he probably does remember it quite well. Maybe. Maybe. The family grasp it, and it probably not in a good way, as they alienate the new owners of the farm who refuses to let them on the property. Why? Well, I can, okay, legally you don't have to let them on, fuck you, it's my farm, but at the same time, like, morally, well, unless I, they're doing, unless they're Mafia 4, and they're doing it as well. I, I thought about this, and it's been bothering me for a bit, again, I was sleeping and waking up with this case. What initially happened, the daughter and a lawyer were walking around the farm, I think, that said that they were walking down a track, but I suspect they were heading to the spot that they thought it was. And the new owner caught them and ordered on, off his property and banned them from coming back. Don't forget, he's probably... I don't know how long this person... I'm so not, in, I'm until not gonna, you legally get that in writing, the trespass doesn't count, by the way. So fuck them, you can keep going around. Well, I'm not going to give the guy's name and I'm not going to actually name what the farm's actually called now because you can find it if you look for it. I, I don't think that's necessary. Uh, uh, yeah, obviously not part of doxing, but also I don't like that person. I hope they step on a landmine or get eaten by those remaining pigs. Just think about it from their perspective. They may well have owned this farm for the last 30, 40, 50 years. Every single year, someone comes out and lays flowers on the grass verge outside your farm. They may have been going up to the farm saying, will you let us search this? Will you let us search that? And they may have accommodated them. But don't forget, they own the place. They've probably raised a family there. They get to a point where, what can we do for you anymore? Yeah, but then also at a certain point, how put out are they by letting people search a farm? You're, you're not. And if you've had new evidence that would then indicate they're actually buried under the XYZ tree, unless unless they are unearthing part of like an actual like building a part of your property where you've got like an outhouse there now or decking or whatever, but like, all right, fair enough. You would accommodate that. Flip that on, on their head. If they're the person, the person that owns the farm that's doing it from their perspective, they'd want the person on the farm to stop being a dick. I agree with you. But from, again, I don't know how accurate the pictures are that I have seen, which are are linked in the show notes like you, normal you can have a look through them it's not quite as intimate as if someone comes up to your house and said i used to live here when i was a kid can i have a look around that does yeah. happen but sometimes yeah. i'll be like no you're going to murder me i'm not going to let you in but that's different than being like oh this could be actually where my, my my mother was buried when she was kidnapped and murdered here's all the famous police reports about it here's the new evidence that, that would that would lead us to believe that it's there i can imagine though i'm i'm not playing devil's advocate but I can imagine it would become incredibly wearing. And as I've said, the pictures that I've seen of it, it doesn't look like it's what we would call a working farm anymore. The area where I think they are looking... So it's a field, in which case... No, it's... Fuck them. Go no. out in the dark with a shovel. No, it's like an ex it's like a part of their garden. And I think there's a bloody greenhouse and vegetable plots and all this. He might turn around and said, look, that was dug up for drainage 30 years ago. No, but nothing's... What they're going to do, sift through it. They also may well have seen how police searches can go, how they can literally destroy... They will destroy it, Destroy yeah. it, and they don't put it back. No. And you get to the point where you say, enough is enough, unless you How much can you accommodate them? But if, if they already have stuff in place there, then you could... Then I do kind of understand you are getting... Yeah, it's a it's difficult scenario. But the... F and I can imagine the family are that desperate. They may well have completely used up any goodwill that this guy had. It didn't help, I don't think, that they'd already employed a ground-penetrating radar specialist who scanned the site from the neighbouring <laughs> land a few metres away, and they said that the results showed ground disturbance up to four feet deep. Well, if you dig in a bloody trench to put drainage in, it would be down four feet, Especially wouldn't it? it doesn't... after 50 years ago. Yeah. But the new owner agrees to cooperate with the police they just don't want anything to do with the family and in april of 2022 so a couple of months ago the police commenced digging at the farm we've yet to hear any outcome however so her daughter who's actually now in her 80s may still not actually get an answer either as i said that documentary i can't find 
But there was also a play, apparently, that reviewers did have what I consider some odd opinions on. They described the kidnapping scene as authentic. If you're not there, how the heck can you know what it was? It's um, just unless I mean that that is what an authentic kidnapping scene would look like, not specifically this one, well, but that might appear what it would. I just thought it was a really odd turn of phrase. Or, or it could, it, that might be what it looks like when someone gets clapped up the head with a pipe and stolen, and kidnapped. That the, might look, it might look authentic. It might not be authentic to this, but but we're back to the age-old problem, which was what we started out with: is body disposal. They just don't think about it. There is our. our watched a do- another documentary that spent a lot of time watching documentaries and a psychologist was saying that you have the i can't remember the terminology they use but they have like the ones that are just considering the act and then the d- body becomes a nothing to them and they will literally dump it they seemingly have no object permanence or decision making ability after it it's like making a mess and then forgetting about the mess and being a surprised pikachu face when there's a mess yeah well now you've actually mentioned a mess and we're talking about body disposal. Well, that leads me to another case. It's probably one I'll never cover because we know what happens. There was a lady called Hella Crafts. She was a Danish flight attendant. She was murdered by her husband, who was an airline pilot called Richard Crafts. Do you know the divorce rate for air hostesses is 50%? It's one of the highest divorce rates. I did not job. know that. Yeah. Mm. Carry on. Right. Her death led to the state of Connecticut's first murder conviction without the victim's body. So it's a similar sort of first. What happened, she, she vanished. And they talked to um, various neighbours that lived around this uh, place called Lake Zor. And they t- a neighbour had seen the husband with a trailer with a wood chipper on the back of it. And they go and have a look to where this... He hadn't just been driven past, he'd been parked up. So they looked at the water's edge and they found many small pieces of metal and some three ounces, which is 85 grams, of human tissue, including the crown of a tooth, a fingernail covered in pink nail polish, bone chips, 2,660 bleached blonde human hairs and O-type blood. That was the same type of blood as Hella. They also found a chainsaw that had blonde human hair that was hidden in the water. The serial number was traced back to Richard Crafts, having purchased it. Investigators believe that Richard bashed Hella in the head with something blunt at least twice, kept her body in the freezer for hours until she was frozen solid, which leads us back to Bricktop, which you just said. He then cut her apart with a chainsaw, put the pieces through a wood chipper, and then shot her remains into the back of his truck and then shoveled her out into the lake. If he didn't put the chainsaw down there with them, he would have probably gotten away with that. Because the, the, the chainsaws were connected that to him. Because mm. it was tied to him having purchased it. They probably got a credit card or debit receipts. Yeah, yeah. So they know it was him. Yeah, definitely. If he didn't put that there, he would have been okay. Yeah. At least he dealt with the body. And and you said it's like 2,620 hairs. Who counted them? Well, exactly. Some poor bigger so, in the lab some like some like intern had to count them they actually did the horrible thing this is we're back to pigs again they put a pig car- carcass through an identical wood, wood chopper and they found that the marks that were left uh, the pig's dead it's fine well the pig doesn't know it's blended. it matched everything that they found from helen this is what actually was worse he gets sentenced to 50 years never admits to it he's released from prison sent to live at halfway house and he was actually released 20 years early, so he did 30 years because of what's called statutory good time. So he, he got as away in, with it. As in he, was, he didn't get away with it. He was in prison for 30 years. Well, yeah, but he should have got fifth. We should have no, stayed for fifth no, days. We did it before. We cover it all the time. People kill someone and they go to prison for eight and a half minutes. Yeah, true. That's so true. he's still got 30 years. In reality, you don't want the person to be murdered in the first place, but that is still a sizable sentence. But body disposal is seems to be a perennial problem. And again, going back to watching another documentary last night, woman burnt her husband up in like the burn pit in the back garden. And police officer and a forensic anthropologist were going through the bits in the bottom of the burn pile. And he said, 
she was picking up a piece of but no that's animal he said picking up another he said there were scraps the size of a thumbnail no that's animal oh that's human and he said how the heck could you tell the difference like, uh, the porosity the texture the color yeah. that's how that's yeah. how you would know yeah. yeah and i just thought to myself if, if i showed you a chicken bone versus a cow bone or a pig bone you'd be able to tell the difference yeah now probably. Ma- imagine that's your job yeah you would you would clock that you'd realize yeah but again this is it's a case that I thought was long done and dusted. I thought that she'd been, as a child, I remember hearing that they think that's where she'd gone. Nobody had ever found her. I couldn't find out about the truth or the myth about the only things pigs don't eat. Well, I know now about long bones and skulls is teeth. I don't know about the well, truth of that. Top says to pull them out. Yeah, he so does. That would make sense. He, did, he does. They've probably got better researchers and more um, facilities than I do. A quick update to three previous episodes. Friday the 29th of July, a judgment was handed down in the Court of Appeal where five cases were being reviewed. Ian Stewart of Episode 1, The Murder of Helen Bailey, and Episode 50, The Murder of Diane Stewart, had his sentence reduced to 35 years. The judge at the second trial had made a mistake. That case was for his first murder and should not have been linked to the sentencing for his second murder as at the time the offence was committed, he hadn't offended. Jordan Monaghan, from episode 57, who got 40 years originally for the murder of his two children and a girlfriend, was changed to 48 years. It seems the starting point for the sentence was classed as unduly lenient. And I was right when I said in that episode of Jordan Monaghan that I believed that he and the children's mother had had a third child, which he'd also tried to kill. That was referenced in the appeal. I've linked the documents as usual in the show notes if anyone wants to have a look. As per usual, these guys could find a way to get out when they're in their 70s and 80s. With modern medicine, they may well live much longer. But both are rather unhealthy. Both with their personalities, I suspect they will not have a good time of it in prison. May very well not live long enough to enjoy being kept in an old people's home, assuming local authorities would risk having them. That is the end of this week's episode. And I promise no body disposal conundrums in the next episode. Finally, the victim who should not be forgotten, Muriel Mackay, aged 55. So that is the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Murder Me Monday Podcast. Email us at Murder Me Monday Podcast at gmail.com. The patrons below. Why are you looking at me weird? Is because I'm saying it really quickly? <laughs> yes. That'll <laughs> uh, be fine. That was hyperspeed. They know um, what it is by now. Yeah. When I know what I'm saying, I can talk really quickly. Anyway, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Much Bye. Love. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>